Okay, let's go ahead and get to our study today. Turn to 1 Kings. We're going to pick it up where we left off. I'm going to also ask that you footmark a place, and that's going to be Ezekiel 33, 11. So you're to footmark uh, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. This is a part two from last week. The title was simply, Enforced Peace Restores Those Torn to Pieces. This is part two. We'll see what we can do to conclude this chapter as much as we're able to. Enforced Peace Restores Those Torn to Pieces. The cutting, the tearing, the breaking of someone God cares about deeply. And he's the prince of peace, and his ideal is that we live in peace. And first and foremost is that we have peace with God. We're going to talk about those things. Lord, we ask for your blessings as we review. Even the things right now that our nation is in agony over, upheaval, social but primarily spiritual because we have departed from the ways of peace we have turned our back on the peacemaker it is not all and so we know as a church that is not us but it is important to talk about the things that have created tension and the despise that is being shown towards one who was despised grieved and yet one who, as we celebrate your life, Jesus, your death and resurrection, you reign on high. You took a seat at the right hand of your Father. We are here to acknowledge that your plan is for peace, and you are the Prince of Peace, and you will prevail in a time of unpeacefulness. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ezekiel, the scriptures read, at that area that I've asked you to turn to, verse 11 is this. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Pretty pertinent clause there. And it's important to understand that God's heart, even as we at times have kind of an athletic mindset, us against them, our team over their team, God sees everybody as suitable to be on his team. And though that may not be the decision that all will make, we know that those who choose to not join God will be joined in a penalty resulting from that ignorance or that arrogance. People will meet that penalty either by ignorance or arrogance. They weren't told, even though all creation will indict them. That's what we do as witnesses, bearing witness to the access that is available to all who call upon the name of the Lord. 
all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so God is grieved because every person born, God knew, even before conception, they're special to him. And they are and will be until they have failed to accept the terms of God for peace. So this is an important chapter which helps us understand the pictures that the Old Testament portrays. There's spiritual pictures that the scriptures illuminate at the writings of both Paul and Peter, James, the very things that even Jesus would speak about concerning a judgment and concerning a harvest that he is very concerned about. So you want to mark that. It's important to know that there is a judgment. It's pending. It has been right now stalled. But we're not to cheer for the death of the ungodly. Rather that their hearts would turn, turn, turn in repentance. And that goes through every aspect of governance from the top all the way down. So we need to be mindful of that. As we go back in here, David within verses signs off. And it's interesting because there isn't a lot that's spoken about it. You can go to Jerusalem and visit what has been historically documented as his sarcophagus, the place where his body rests. We presume that that is, in fact, his resting place. But we know that it would have been moved several times. But for that, in that way that his body laid in state and now is in a different estate, he's in heaven. What we need to know is that he's trying to finish up the business that's left to do while he has fading authority, but powerful authority. And he's doing that through Solomon. Solomon, remember, is a picture of a reigning kingdom that will have peace. And it is a peaceful kingdom that is a result of enforced righteousness. That's why you're seeing and hearing about some of the things that are adjudications that David assigns his son to make that will render a punishment of death on those who were erring or sinning against God by defying David on earth. It's a picture of ultimately what happens in the kingdom that will be established on earth for a thousand years. It will be enforced in righteousness as the Lord reigns from Jerusalem. We will be the enforcers of that righteousness. We're not going to err in any decisions. We're not going to be scratching our chins going, hmm, don't know how to rule on that one. And we don't even know what it means in terms of if it requires correction, what will the behavior of those people be that require correction? Correction is very easy when it's received, when it's honored. It's more difficult when it is thwarted and challenged, the strategies that at times we employ, or even the need for what we would call in our time corporal punishment the spanking capital punishment is available but we as a society have turned from that 
because we think it's cruel and unusual, the Lord would say, no, it's final. It's meant to be a deterrent under the oversight of those who adjudicate as unto me. They seek me, they know me, they know my word, and they know decisively how they are to rule. But we've strayed from God, and therefore our society has become confused, and we have become a mess. David's trying to take care of right now a mess that he does not want to leave to Solomon, because Solomon will be reigning on his own and handling those kinds of things. Here we go, picking it up. In verse 16 of chapter 2, 1 Kings, which is where we're picking it up, Therefore do, according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. And so this particular word right now coming from David to Solomon is clean up what was a mess in my tenure. In this particular case, the one that is being spoken of, it says just in advance of this, moreover you know also, what Joab the son of Zariah did to me. That's what David goes back to. He did this to me. And what did he do to David? He took out innocent men. And that was a result of this case where Joab had ulterior motives. And he had a passion for taking, if you would, the law into his own hands and thwarting the heart of David, who had God's heart, really concerning all men. He was one that really tried to pay attention to the details that God had given to him on how to reign and rule. And we don't need to cite the errors that he made. When we look at David's life, it wasn't a perfect life but it was a perfecting life in which he allowed the corrective hand of God also to have a proper place. So Joab is who we're talking about now, and David has cited the particular offenses. He killed Abner, who was uniting both the southern and northern kingdoms under David's rule, and Joab killed him maliciously in the dark of night, at a time in which it would not have been expected, they were meeting to talk. And the talk ended with a severe wound to Abner. David grieved and required all Israel grieve. And then Joab also took into his own hands and killed another commander that had come from Israel to patch things up. And so David said, this man has caused much harm, much grief to me. And he says, in the wisdom that you do have, Solomon, I want you to be certain that this is handled. It's interesting. It seems to be a charge, but he's giving credit to Solomon for wisdom that his years would not possibly have been able to have right now. He's a young guy in his 20s. What would he have known of combat? What would he have known of temperaments? What would he have known of sleight of hand? Those things that were malicious, those things that were cunningly conjured in some meeting outside of the ears of David, outside of the 
prayerful appeal to God, Solomon would not necessarily have had any of those experiences at all to help him in this scenario. David's helping him by clarifying things. And David very likely may have in his heart a belief that God's going to meet Solomon at a time in which Solomon will respond to the Lord. And that will happen actually as we continue on here. Do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Enforced peace restores those torn to pieces. David is saying, this guy tore me to pieces. He nearly tore our government to pieces. He tore the pages of conduct out of the hands of the will of God. He cannot go to the grave in peace. It's also a picture of what happens to individuals who have not and refuse to make peace with God through the provision of Jesus Christ. Without the Lord, there can be no peace with God because the mind of one who does not have peace with God is at enmity against God. God is not at enmity with us. He's brokered peace. Man is at enmity with God, meaning resistant to the things that bring peace and the things ultimately that secure a future. We have in context of scripture, and I'll ask you to go over there for just one more turn, a place where we can find this written about the disposition of men who are not spiritually mindful of God cannot walk in peace, nor can they do things that bring about peace. It's always destructive. Verse 5 of chapter 8 of Romans, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit... The things of the Spirit. Verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Even in tumult, the things that we see have created great tensions, animosities, divisions, schisms within the family of God. These things ought not to be, at least among us, because the Lord has bridged that. And he said, if you're spiritual, the fruit of that spirituality is being mindful of him, and ultimately you will live a life that has peace. That's what we want. You've been disturbed before on the night watch or in a place where you've gone to escape the commotion, the junk, when all of a sudden somebody pulls in next to your spot and they're all about the junk. You left it and they brought it. Have you ever had that happen? My word, where did you come from? <laughs> and they actually don't want to hear that and they don't want to be good neighbors. You just have to endure or get up and leave. And I already shared that about my experience in Israel to camp really right on the waters, near the waters of the Sea of Galilee, only to be violated by 
a two o'clock appearance of somebody that cranked on a big giant music box, drinking and cooking food and just as loud and obnoxious as he could be. And I wanted peace and I was ready to broker for it by going out to him and he said, don't do that. Don't you do that. I said, why? Did you see the knife he's got? <laughs> oh, the one that he's chopping up his little stuff for the meal he's making. Yeah. And so he had, you know, two women with him. I'm assuming they were both his girlfriends. But I listened to my girlfriend <laughs> and I tolerated just seething with anger that I could be at such a sacred place and be rousted so obnoxiously. And I was aroused to anger, which made me no better than he with his knife. But the Lord, as I just prayed through it, eventually subdued him with these two gals he was with. They could see that what he was doing was really obnoxious. And so the music went down and they began to pack up. But as he walked by my tent, he was very careful to show me him wiping the blade off of his britches from whatever he was cutting. <laughs> but it wasn't me. So I say that because tensions provoke us to take things into our own hands and praise the Lord for those who say with wisdom, don't do that. That's not for you to do. That's for God to do. And so in a saving moment of listening to my wife when I was truly angry, I think that I was saved. I actually believe that. But notice this. It says that because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice verse 9, though. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, then whatever you may think of God or even claim about God, he's not God to you. And that vernacular will do you no good presented before him who has suspended judgment upon all of us and in particular those who are without a response of surrender to him. The carnal mind cannot be subject to the things of the spirit, cannot please God. So I wanted to tag that telling you that that's the dilemma of the world. Spirituality is not it. It's being filled with the Spirit of God. That's it. And so we at times as Christians will use this. Man, you're in the flesh. That's true. But it does not mean that we are vacated of the Spirit of God. It just means that which we war against even in being highly spiritual must be subdued at times with the warning of lips. Christy was basically warning me, you're in the flesh. I'm in the right, but you're in the flesh trying to do right, but it's wrong. He'll overtake you. And that would be true. So God is continually endeavoring to broker peace, not only with us, but in particular, those who are outside of us peacemakers. It's not easy, though. 
But this conflict seemingly between the Spirit of God within us and the carnality at the same time that has not been fully vanquished from us because it wars, the Spirit and the flesh war with one another. It explains why we have hard days, difficult times communicating, how we can offend so easily when either it was our intention, oh, I can get that person back, or unintentionally, I didn't mean it. It's the spirit, though, that is the resource to us for life and peace. Always better to zip it and forget it than to open up and be haunted by the remembrance of what you could have done differently. David right now adjudicates to his son, too young, to know really the hardship that David suffered, and in particular the violation of these men who were opposed to God. Do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace, but show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. In between an indictment against a man who has been judged for living a life contrary to God's will, even in the service of Israel's army and seemingly under David's allowance, David says, be mindful those of these in particular. They were with me when it was difficult. And when your brother who betrayed me and who nearly took over the city, when it was he that I was in contention with, this man stood by my side. And the wonderful thing about what we are talking about in projection is that it's not just one person that's going to stand by your side in the time in which we will rule and reign with the Lord. It's the entire community of believers who have invested in the Lord and who are now on assignment to both work and live in peace in those days. You may say, well, is there going to be a challenge with what people may or may not do? The challenge will only be those who have survived the tribulation period. They will be highly human. Though they will not have the influence of Satan as we do now, they will have a nature that still can make bad decisions. Would you agree that every one of us have seen a child in what we would say is in a state of innocence do things that we would say, uh-uh, mm -mm, no, 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 no. Why is that? Because there's a nature that perks up and everything in their nature says, mine, mine, that, go, yes. All of us deal with that. There's an age of innocence in which even the human nature comes out. That nature even to not being able to suspend a cry or to suspend wanting to have what you do not want them to have. That's the nature of even an innocent child. And so maybe it's going to be more like that in your understanding. There will be those who need to have a governance. Uh-uh. Thank you. Mm. Uh-uh. 
Thank you. And it may be that that's all we're doing is rather than writing citations, we're just going, thank you. Thank you for listening to me. This is going to go well for you. How are you doing anyways? Not hand slaps. It's an enforced righteousness, but my heart tells me it's going to be so right for them to hear it. There will be no argument about it. It's going to be so right because we will be perfect. Challenging an imperfect individual. Endeavoring to allow an expression to take place. David right now as he moves through this commends this family for standing with him and says they need to sit at my table. Oh, by the way, that's your table, but it's my table. Make sure they're invited to be there. I see, verse 8, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Beth, a Benjamite from Bahurim, who cursed me with malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanam. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death, but with this, put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, verse 9, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man, and know what you ought to do to him, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. A picture of two kinds of people that represent those who will experience judgment as far as we can see in this. The ones who will be brought down to the grave without peace and those who will be brought down to the grave with their blood. Without the Lord, there can be no peace. Therefore, there can be nothing that bridges the conflict between enmity and God. Enmity meaning, I hate what I'm doing. I hate where I'm at. I hate this conversation about God. I want an alternative, no peace. God's made peace with you. We, any, who have not accepted the terms of that peace treaty, live in enmity against God. And everything we do chides him. Everything that is done in the flesh is basically saying, come on, is that the best you can do? I can take you all day. I can take you on all day. No, there's a day in which God will take that person. And all of us know that we've encountered times in which that was perhaps even our mindset. So what's the other? It speaks of the redemption of the blood. If a person does not receive the redemptive, sacrificial blood offering from Jesus and giving up his life, then they go down to the grave with their blood upon them. If you choose to reject the blood of Jesus, then you go down to the grave in your blood. Both peace you missed out on and the last thing that you confirm ultimately your eternal destination, which is hell, is that you have blood on your head as opposed to the blood of God that was poured out and ultimately to cover every part of you, not just your head, every part of you. It's a powerful picture that David's giving to Solomon, and it's an important one for us to understand. It's as true then as it is to us presently there is a world that will be judged, and those who will be judged are going to be those who have rejected the peace of God, wanting to stay at enmity with God, and wanting to essentially discount, consider nothing about the sacrifice of God 
in giving his son, Jesus Christ. That's the message. That is the truth. And who wouldn't want peace? And who wouldn't want to not have the guilt of blood on their head? Well, the ignorant and the arrogant. We need to let people know that if they think of God as a meanie, as a judge right now who is too harsh, they have no clue about the time in which the church removed. He will adjudicate in a time known as the tribulation, and it is going to be fierce, very one-sided, and it will have what we call in the scriptures the wrath of God being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. It's not how many salvos of missiles Satan can send. That means nothing. God will rain down a judgment far outweighing, far superior than anything Satan can muster in any troops that he controls at that time. It will be a rain, truly, of judgment. It will be an awe. It will provoke people to say, may the mountains fall on me. And so that time draws nigh. We live in this extraordinary time right now of grace. David showed a graceful side of leadership in a tumultuous time of establishing a kingdom that God anointed him for. And some would say, well, that was his fault. The Lord wanted to be able to show his faithfulness through a man that wasn't always about just killing he took care of sin as it was evident to him. He would sin at times when he would be disobedient to God. But he's the picture of one who moved through the life of a sorrowful king, one who loved God, but he really experienced a grievous, sorrowful life. The Lord Jesus would be known as one who was acquainted with grief and of sorrow, but he lived a powerfully anointed, joyous, glad life, even though the scriptures tell us that it was a hard life. Are you going through a hard life? Most of us would say, we have evidence that suggests I've gone through a hard life. But it is not a life that even though it is hard, you cannot go through with exceedingly great joy. If David is telling his son that there is both life and peace that we can enjoy in what he's saying to Solomon. It's life and peace, peace and life that we are able to also enjoy. And by the Spirit of God to have the oil of gladness poured upon us in the hope that is our expectancy that he will come and retrieve us. We have things to be praying about. We have people to make certain they know of God's heart, that he loves them. He does not rejoice in ultimately the perishing or the death of the wicked. We at times do because we think you got what you deserved. But the death of them is not ultimately what they deserve. It's what the scriptures tell is for all of us. It is appointed for all of us to die once. It's the judgment that pens thereafter. And that's something that if we really understood it, we would not be able to rejoice in it. Because at some point in time, that wicked person was somebody's very special little baby. 
And that very wicked person actually was known by God who would give them every reasonable resource to turn to him and to have restoration of themselves for a life that is meant to be lived well. When we as a culture say, down with peace, isn't it weird? The 60s said peace, and our generation that we're a part of right now says, no peace officers, get them out, fire them, change the configuration of how government should operate. And you're going, really? Do you know what you're asking for? You're asking for what you're getting, chaos. You're asking for safety to be completely unavailable to any of us. And it's true. It's insanity. But I will tell you this. It is very much a part of Satan's plan to tear our government down, to tear the churches away from governance, influence, to tear families apart. All of these things are being worked out, not only strategically, but maliciously. He's doing a pretty good job, but God does a much better job in restoring any who would come to him. And even a government who needs to make a restorative move back to him. But it is not threatening our government. It's standing firm that we're governed by God and we're different than them. If that's the way they choose to govern, we remain governed by the word of God. And we remain empowered by the spirit of God that we might live a life of peace and abundance. The reward of David to those who served him faithfully in a time of great calamity. God has a reward for you as he did for this man and his family because in a time of deep faction and the tearing apart of a government and of a religious and devotional life that David knew, he says, you take care of this family, especially. That's why we as a family of God can say, the greater than David, the son of David, is taking care of us, especially because we are special to him. As a nation, we can be special to God once again if we do not forsake Israel, which is the apple of his eye. And guess what Satan wants to do? to make Israel equal with all other nations, and especially those that are in the Middle East. They're unequaled. The Bible that we hold, we have as the oracles of God presented to us ultimately because they were preserved by the Jewish scribes, the ones that penned and wrote and understood the scriptures. And so this closes simply by the two points mentioned, blood, on the head of those who ultimately divide by voice blasphemous statements or blasphemous living against God and those who ultimately as well will have no peace both in their life and they will not have peace in their afterlife. The two people that are represented in this scripture. Let me close in this as a finale. It says in verse 10, David rested with his fathers and was buried in 
the city of David. Isn't that kind of interesting that a person such as David who has been declared as one who has a heart that follows after God, the Lord would honor in literally giving him the name of the city. It was Jerusalem. And yet David was also honored by God in having his name included in this special, unique city that he was able to found. David was the founder of that city, the city of David. His life is punctuated in seemingly quietness right now. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. The kingdom of the Lord will be firmly established as ultimately the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I do not know what the world will look like at that time, but it will be perfect in how it appears to us. We will have no disappointments going, man, I wish it was like Brookings was. It would be better than Brookings, better than any place you could ever have visited or ever desired to go to. That's how perfect God will have his kingdom on earth at that time for a thousand years. But in the closing note, firmly established, in what you need to understand, God is firmly established in your life presently, firm to establish you in the things that are for you to do yet, because eventually there's a time in which we will rest with our fathers. The reigning period that we were given concludes with the next generation. And if you want to get excited, watch the next generation. They're an exciting generation to watch. I tagged them as I can, but I took note of them last night. And you know what? I felt as young as they are by being here. If you were here, I do not feel that any of you would have said, I just don't, I don't feel it. I think we felt it. There was actually a breaking that was going on. I could feel that, but I could deeply see it. And it was the Spirit of God. That was a hard work, by the way, to pull off a worship set for an hour. But when it came as a presentation, it was as easy as breathing. And see, that's the joy of the Lord. And that's what happens when the Spirit of God is residing, is that the things we do, even though it provokes a sweat and a tremble, it was wonderful, beautiful. I'm able to say on a given day, I've done my best. It's up to the rest. Those who walk in the ways of the Lord.